Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk about something a little bit niche. It's uh, gestalt variations in a TTRPG, <laughs> specifically like D&D and Pathfinder. <laughs> but uh, before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we talk about games. And it has been a while since we've done a tabletop episode. Um, so, you know, I guess we're returning to our roots a little bit. Um, but the only D&D game that I've been playing recently has been a game where we are playing in D&D 5th Edition with Gestalt characters, right? Where I can be two classes. Like, e each level I get two classes, basically. Um, which comes from, I think it started in, like, 3.5, right? Like, the idea of... 3.5 was uh, the... Three five was like the big one where like you would see posts on like the most broken characters and one of them was always like you know and here's a gestalt option right because three five gestalt yeah. was like you get everything from everything right like you get the bet the better of everything right so like there's no no balance attempted and so like always encourage you to do like some sort of like gish mage right because like there's no point in taking two fighting classes because you you could be getting the spellcaster or whatever but yeah um, very similarly um, or. or this is where the variations comes in. Pathfinder 2 does have a uh, true Gestalt option, um, but I'm not playing that. I'm playing a couple different games where we've got the free archetype variation, which is um, at every level where you normally get a class feat, you also get a free feat that you must take from uh, an archetype, which is how um, feats were, or archetypes work in uh, in Pathfinder 2. We normally they'd replace your class feats, um, but here you can uh, you you get a free one in addition. Um, this is a very popular option. I know a lot. Like the uh, the zeitgeist seems to be that like this is the way that everybody wants to play uh, Pathfinder now, right? Is is with the free archetype option. Um, that's what it seems to be on like the forums and on like the various Reddits. Okay, um, that makes sense to me. Yeah, and that reminds me of like uh, the every other. <laughs> the, I want to say late in its lifetime. <laughs> um, D&D 3.5, everybody was doing the every other level feats instead of every three level feats. Mm. And that would eventually be codified in Pathfinder, right? But right. it's just like, it's one of those small system things that just like feels better to play with. Um, so, you know, like it kind of gets adopted. That makes sense to me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but both of those are like sort of this idea of fusing, you know, like two classes together, which is sort of the core of what like playing a gestalt game is you know like is about and what and what it's like um so so yeah i guess we're gonna so, fucking talk about it do, you, you want to give me an overview about what that system looks like in in 5e because i i'm not super yeah i mean in 5e it is true gestalt right it is when you level up you get a level in both classes anything that is repeated you only get the once right so you know for instance at level four or whatever the number is where you normally get an ability score enhancement you just you get one that's it um, but everything else you get multiples, right? So I have all of the, my character is a fighter monk. So I have all of the monk stuff and all of the, all of the fighter stuff kind of concurrently, right? Um, which has allowed me to do some very cool, which has allowed me to do some very cool things, I guess. So, um, oh, I mean, so th that's interesting, right? Because everything has, okay. <laughs> I, so I, I play a 5e game, but it's, it's, it's yeah. you know. And the system, I guess, would respond, like, because there's no BAB, right? Like, it's, yeah. you have a proficiency bonus, and you apply that anything you've got proficiency in. And so, I guess you just double the proficiencies. And if they overlap, obviously, you're losing something there, but it's not, like, the end of the world, right? It's not, like, it is yeah. not as, as like, disadvantageous as it would, as would be in 3.5, where, like, you know, a fighter barbarian would not get anything outside of, like, the barbarian, like, those mechanics. 
Um, whereas like a mage fighter would get the full baby and full spell casting. And there's a little yeah, bit of like, that there. I, yeah. I feel like I have gotten quite a lot of mileage. Like this would be a common, you know, like my combination is fighter monk and the, you know, the lore behind this is this is my 80 millionth attempt at making like the, the perfect, like samurai archetype. Right. So this is Kenzo. This is a new version of Kenzo. But so the idea is, um, you know how, like, in, like, Roroni Kenshin or whatever, like, none of these anime samurai, they never wear armor. They're always wearing robes, right? It's like that. Because as a monk, you you don't wear armor. You wear robes and you have right. your wisdom, you know, added to your to your AC or whatever, right? Um, and, and then you could also do, like, fun, cool samurai shit, like jumping and the the moving by using key points and all this other, all, all this other sort of stuff. I'm also using, there's a, there's a variant of... Um, is it Kensei is, for fighter or is it for monk? I think it's Kensei for monk, but there is also a samurai. So there it is okay. the fighter subtype samurai and monk subtype Kensei. So I can use my katana as a monk weapon. And this is what sold it for me was the, the ability to use my katana as a monk weapon. Um, for it, would you know, like it doesn't work for my like flurry of blows or anything like that, but it's just like it activate. I can use it with my key shit, and it activates in in specific sorts of ways, right? Um, and I expect it to kind of feel a little like out of sorts because like you know other people are playing other sorts of combinations. And by the way, I think one of somebody in our group has found an incredibly broken combination. Um, what's what's the combination? Uh, Druid barbarian. Okay, because I, you go into Wild Shape and then you start raging, and while you're raging, you take half damage, and Wild Shape gives you a ton of temporary HP. So, 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 hot take like just Druid half of that I think gets you pretty close to to broken in in five E. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, like honestly, when we were talking about it, and I and I was just sort of like reading these mechanics, and I was like, oh, okay, so cool. You turn into you know like the lore is that she's a she's a werewolf, right? The character is a werewolf. So she starts raging, which is the going into the werewolf form, right? Right. Um, and the werewolf form has the wild shape stats of uh, like a saber tooth tiger or something, you know, just like some whatever, whatever yeah, random, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but we just started like looking at like the underlying mechanics of it, and it's like, okay, you know, cool, wild shape, get a bunch of temp HP, you lose all your temp HP, you shift back, that makes sense, awesome, got it, okay. And then when you're raging, you take half damage from physical, you know, like slashing, blunt, piercing. And it's like, oh, well, you basically give yourself a gigantic shield of twice the, the health, you know. And then you can also spend these slots, because this is the other thing, is you can spend those wild shape, <laughs> or not, no, those, those spell slots that Druid has <laughs> to heal yourself. <laughs> so not only do you have massive, massive DR, you also have an insane ability to just like recoup huge amounts of HP while you're in wild shape. And I think she's like literally unkillable. Like it is maybe the most broken thing. I, I you know, I haven't played a lot of D and D five, right, right. but it's like maybe the most broken thing I can think of with, with, um, with five V. Um, Anyway, and then there's a couple of other people, right? You know, who play a, uh, you know, a barbarian paladin. Um, we have a, uh, a cleric warlock. Um, and then maybe like an artificer warlock. I don't know. There, there's a couple of different, you know, like combinations or whatever. I only built these two characters. So these are the ones that I'm like intimately familiar with. Right. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, and just to, to give you uh, the perspective from, from my side of things, 
Um, my two characters are a, um, it's a, so I have built this character, but we, ha I, we haven't quite started playing with them yet because we started without for your archetype ever moving into it. So, um, stuff there, but so I actually have three characters that I've built this way. I've built, um, I have a, uh, uh, a cleric who was always a hell knight. And it's funny because once we introduced free archetype, he became more of a cleric because I could start taking cleric feats with him because I was spending them all on, <laughs> on hell knight, uh, uh, feats. Um, and then uh, in that same campaign as like an alternate character for complicated reasons I won't go into, but it's a it's another cleric that's also Dragon Disciple. So he gets all the Dragon Disciple feats for free, essentially. Um, um, and one of the neat things about free archetype is eventually you kind of run out of archetype feats. So like that, uh, so like uh, the Hell Knight is also taking the martial dedication and uh, the sorcerer, and the cleric is also taking sorcerer but the, the whole point of that character is just to place as many dragon feats on top of him as possible make him the most dragony kobold as possible um <laughs> and then uh in the other game which i've played a little bit more of and has like both both things going for it is um uh or played more of it with the free archetype thing is it's a it's a swashbuckler with a sorcerer dedicate with a sorcerer archetype attached to it um and this makes sense to, for him thematically because he's got like uh, uh, genie blood, and so like he's got the genie bloodline sorcery in it. Like you know, he's got like various elementally themed things. Um, and one of, so one of the things I will say for the PF2E system, the PF2E free archetype system, is a lot of these things just give you more options rather than power, um, mm -hmm. which. Um, sounds like 5e, at least in, like, obviously you've got some weird interactions there, but most of it seems to be, like, it, it's, it's balanced by the fact that, like, you know, proficiency goes up and it's just a matter of applying it to more things, which gives you more options rather than giving you, like, stacked power, right? Like, that was the thing about 1e and about, like, old 3.5 stuff is, like, um, basically you had stuff on top of itself that, like, let you kind of, like, build up uh, cumulative power, Um and on top of that, um, if you double like the, like having more things would generally get you to more power faster, right? Like like there are not like I, I know like one if you increase the number of feats, you just kind of get like more numbers faster. Whereas like um, in in two e and in five e, um, I think that should be easy enough to keep track of. But uh, uh, like more uh, more things mostly gives you more options instead of uh, instead of more raw power. Um, which yeah. I think I think works. Now you have you, you mentioned that 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 um, that your your druid the druid wild shape has enough of interaction there that it feels pretty broken. Um, do you think in general like do you? Um, what do you? How do you feel like the power level works in in in, uh, in the? You know, it's interesting. System? I also think that the fighter monk is quite powerful, partially because I get to add sort of a bunch of free damage, right? Like part of what sort of underwrites monk is that you can be making free unarmed attacks a lot, right? You know, you're spending key points, you know, using flurry of blows, you're making these free unarmed attacks. Um, and, uh, and all of that is okay. Like all of that is pretty good, but like, you know, it's kind of pennies in, in the grand scheme right. of things, right? You know, really all I'm adding is a little bit of base die to the fighter weapon in in the because like normally if i'm a monk i'm attacking with my unarmed strike and my unarmed strike is like a 1d6 and then i get a free unarmed strike on top of that which is another 1d6 plus whatever right the real difference when i'm doing fighter monk is that that first attack is a 1d10 because i'm using this katana right um and so i think that's like to me that that that's minor 
because the if it was a more major um if it was a more major number then it would probably like stretch into that to that broken territory but the difference between a 1d6 and a 1d10 is like two it's it's like two points of damage which i just think is like ultimately not all that much not all that you know like not all that impactful kind of thing but the bigger interactions that i think have been more powerful are where the kind of active abilities that i have on one side or the other can kind of mix together so for instance using you know being able to use the key stunning fist whatever feat feature you know that like a monk has that's something that a, a warrior or i'm sorry a fighter just has no opportunity to use right so there's a lot of power in just like the ability to um sort of find answers to problems in one class or the other that the that your other class wouldn't have had right you know i've been able to do stuff with movement speed and dash actions and disengage actions right that i wouldn't have otherwise been able to do just because um as a as a monk you can you can use that stuff as your you know to to like dash in a move action or whatever else um or conversely right like i can as a um uh, as a fighter, I can use action surge, right? Which gives me a full extra action on my turn to use it to pump extra flurry of blows into somebody. That's like a, that's like a powerful sort of like burst action, but that's like once a day, you know what I mean? So <laughs> that, that's kind of what I feel like I end up with, I guess is what I would say. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and kind of similarly on, on, on the Pathfinder side of things, um, like, the big thing in Pathfinder, at least, is that everything's <laughs> very constrained by, like, the three-action system. And so um, I find that most of what I'm doing is I'm doing one thing for one and one thing for the other, but I've got the options for both. And kind of like you said, right? Like, you know, you've it allows you to have opportunities to, to do things, uh, you know, just, like, have, have options in different situations and find different places for them. Um, uh, uh and I think there's a lot of utility there, but at least at least from where I'm standing, a lot of the um, like there doesn't seem to be like especially so free archetype doesn't get any of like the the, the ride along kind of like base stuff, which is where I think a lot of your passive kind of bonuses come from. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm missing all of that on on the archetype stuff. Um, and so I think it's it's actually uh, it's more about like kind of like getting the flavor in right. Like my character. Um, is is primarily a swashbuckler, right? He fences. He he does he does um, uh, rapier and and dagger. Although his dagger is like a witch knife, which is like a, a genie theme thing. Um, and uh, every once in a while, he pulls out the magic, right? Like um, last session, um, uh, uh, something flew up to the ceiling, and I couldn't stab it, so I hurled the fire. You know, I, I hurled a fire cantrip at it, uh, type of deal. Um, and then later on, like, you know, there are buff spells that I think I'm going to, I'm going to pick up, but that's all kind of like secondary to the, um, uh, to the, uh, 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 to, to the, uh, the, the core character concept that really helps build out the, the, the flavor and the concept into something that's, that's more interesting without having to like do a lot on the power curve that like would make, like we're playing pre-published adventure paths. So like, um, I, are you, are you playing in a custom campaign? Yep, very custom. So there's a lot of, um, I guess I would say interactions that aren't like legal, uh, you know, like aren't, aren't like by the book, 
Right. I mean, and the other the other thing there is that like if you guys are tearing through content too hard, right? Like you adjust the numbers, right? And you uh, and you know your your GM can like just like probably pull a higher level thing out of the book, um, and you know he's taking that into account when he's building the campaign. Um, yeah, I mean the GM, uh, our, our GM is is named Joey, right? You know he's a friend of ours, and um, and I think he does a good job of this thing that I've talked about in previous casts, where like I sort of think that the right way to GM stuff, uh, a lot of the times in RPGs, is to make it about a sort of plots based stakes thing, rather than just like does my is my party gonna get TPK'd, right? You know, like the stakes of, for instance, our last session is. There's this big thing called a corpse tree, which is a big undead tree that is like gallows, and there's all these corpses hanging from it, and it's doing crazy thing. And it is attacking the train that we are on, and if the train is destroyed, we're fucked kind of thing, right? So the stakes there are, can we defeat the corpse tree before the corpse tree deals enough damage to the train that the train is irreparably damaged, for instance, right? Um, it is not, can you DPS the corpse tree down before you die, right? Yeah, and, and yeah, so this is, this, we've talked about this before, but I think this is one of the things that's freeing it, like, a little, one of the benefits of Adventure Paths, right? Like, you run it basically as written, and maybe you make some tweaks, but if, like, the players die, it's much less of a question of your skill as a GM, right? Like, it's it's much more on the math of the Adventure Path, and, like, how, yep. the, how the dice slide, and you, or how the, how the dice fell, and you don't have to worry about... Um, as much taking that responsibility onto yourself as, as, as causing problems, right? Like, you know, and not that I think that, like, good players, um, uh, you know, will, will make an issue of this that much, but, like, it, it's a thing It's a thing that you have to wonder about, right? Like, did did we TPK because I made the encounter too hard, or did we TPK because of, um, you know, that that's just the way things are. With an adventure path, it's much easier to be like, well, that's just the way things went because we, we ran it as, as intended to be, you know, run with the right amount of players and... Um, yeah, and um, but the flip side of that is when you add in unexpected variables, right? Like when you give people free archetype, um, or you give people just alt, um, the adventure path is probably going to be under power, under tuned for that. Um, and so you have you're going to have to make adjustments. And if you're building it from scratch to account for that, it's a little bit easier to account for rather than trying to have to backwards engineer and rejigger the math for on um, uh, for the adventure path type stuff. So. Um, I, I think that's, like, a, a very um, kind of important thing when considering this, right? Like, I would not tell anybody to take a pre-published adventure and throw Gestalt characters at that because uh, it would probably be way too easy. Um, you'd probably want to bump it up probably, like... See, 5 is tough because um, it's... What is it called? It's, like, constrained... Um, actually, this would be tough with, with 2E, too. Hmm. I wonder how I feel about this, right? Because, like... You're not getting like you can't just level up in either case, right? Because I'm, maybe you could in five e because five e there's much less power differential between like you know a level one thing and a level twenty thing, right? Like mm. yes, there is some, but like um, it's like they call it like bounded accuracy or whatever, right? Like there's like you know your 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 proficiency bonus I think goes from like plus two to like plus five, right? So, like that's not a huge difference there. Um, and so leveling things up, I th you'd probably be a little bit safer, right? Because like you, you yeah, it was something that they had good tools for. I use them all the time in three five because there were and like Pathfinder, you can also inherit this because they're templates, right? Yeah. Um, where you can just say, oh, this isn't a cobalt, this is an advanced cobalt, and the the advanced cobalt has plus two hit dice, so you know plus a couple of h points of HP. 
you give them i i love this template i use it all the time they get plus two on all their attacks damages and saves right so it is you know two two rounds of hit dice and plus two on all their rolls basically um <coughs> which i think which i think makes a pretty big difference to a player right like we don't think of plus two as being a big number but it's 10 percent, right that's basically a 10 percent bump in the numbers and if i were like you know if we were playing like an mmo and you were to tell me that like all of the raid bosses got bumped by 10 percent damage and health and whatever right like that would be pretty massive yeah. um so i i feel like i always liked the advanced template and i would probably do something similar the thing is is that that is pretty tough because that represents a much wider you know like theoretically you could say the advanced like the advanced template which i think represented maybe plus one cr maybe um maybe it was plus two cr like that translates more one-to-one -one because you kind of expect in pathfinder everything to increase at that at that level sort of right like it's basically every time you level up you kind of get plus one to all your stuff right whether that's base attack bonus whether that's you pick up an item and that item has an enhancement bonus and you're now using it on you know whatever whether that's you're getting a caster level to your damage die right um in 5e because it is bounded uh, more more stringently, there's a bigger question there about if plus two would be fair or if it would be quite a lot, right? Because, like, if I think of proficiency as the thing, like, plus two proficiency is maybe, like, five levels, right? Yeah. No, and and that's that's the thing, too. And, and so, like, the math in PF, PF1EN PF and 3.5 is, like, all over the fucking place, right? Like, you could, yeah. like, squint at it and maybe pull some rules out. But, like, in... In 5e, the math is less rigid, but there's also much like much less variation to your point. Like plus two is, is a lot. And in Pathfinder 2e, it's not that it's not that like the numbers don't vary because they do. It's that the math is so tight, right? Like a plus one bonus is hard to get in yep. in 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 uh in 2e. Um Especially if it's, like, a plus one bonus that you're not normally supposed to have, right? Like, everybody gets plus one to their weapon at around the same time, right? Or, like, an equivalent bonus on something else, right? Like, if you're if you're not choosing to take that. Um, and so, like, that fits into kind of, like, that sliding math scale. Um, but, like, plus two is, like... Plus two can be, the, like, a, a, an arbitrary plus two bonus, like, is the difference between, like, something being, like, you know, an even match and, and like, being very difficult to, to hit right because like the, the the numbers just don't like that's why like like something something that I've, I've come to appreciate um and this is like not strictly on the, on the topic of 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 uh of gestalt but like i have been playing this um this hell knight as kind of like a war cleric right um but the war cleric like the the war cleric my, my war cleric doesn't get like advanced levels of uh, of proficiency with his weapons, only with his de deity's weapon. And he's playing. I'm playing cleric of Abadar, so he's with a crossbow. And he's a melee guy, right? So I need mm -hmm. a way to get better, um, to get better attack bonuses. And there's a way to do it through my archetype, um, uh, but like that, like not having that extra plus two is like, like I feel like sometimes I like miss everything, right? Like, um, like there's a fighter in the party, and he's obviously up to like. He's, either, he's up to mastery, might be up to legendary at this point. And, like, he, like, crits on, like, you know, fours sometimes, right? Like, <laughs> and, like, yeah, dude. And, like, I'll struggle to hit on, like, a 14, right? Like, which is, you know, you know, and that's, like, how it's supposed to play out, right? I think it's a well-balanced system. Um, 
Uh, and so, like, that just that's just to highlight the fact that, like, even though they're small numbers and they're much smaller numbers than we had in 1E, the difference was in 1E is if you were a wizard, you weren't trying to stab things with your knife, right? Like, you know, yeah. the fact that those numbers were way off didn't, didn't matter. And similarly, at the end, right, like, there were ways to stack so many bonuses in 1E that, like, you were, like, you could, like, hit on ones, right? Like it, Yeah, I mean, that was another thing. I remember I was uh... – I think I was watching a Jason Bullman stream. Have you ever watched him stream? Uh, yeah, occasionally. Uh, yeah, so I was watching a Jason Bullman stream. He was talking about this, and he was talking about um, one of the things that people don't realize, or that they that they kind of didn't realize when it came to Pathfinder 1E, was because um, he was specifically streaming Wrath of the Righteous when I was watching this, and he was talking about how um, Wrath of the Righteous has a pretty contained feat list, all things considered, right? And he talked about how there's this sort of, like, version of player that you and I are, actually, right? right? Which is that, like, when we make a character, you go to d20pfsrd.com, right? And you look at this huge list of, this gigantic list of feats, right? And when they were writing a lot of those feats, the idea in their heads were, you know, I'm writing a campaign for Chalayax, maybe I buy this Chalayax source book, right? And this Chalayax source book has a thing that says... You know, lawful evil monks can add one d four damage on their on their things if whatever, right? <coughs> and it's like a flavorful it's like a flavorful thing, right? Lawful evil monks in Chalayax add one d four damage, but now you know it's twenty sixteen and we live in a world where the D20 PFSRD exists. It has an exhaustive list of all this stuff. And anyone who builds a monk is going to go take that feat because it's free 1d4 damage, right? On all of their, on all of their attacks. And the thing that Wrath of the Righteous does is it pairs down that feat list to things that would only really, you know, like matter to the Wrath of the Righteous, like campaign. And so I, d I do think that that kind of ended up happening when it came to 1E, right? Where it's just like, because so many source books got released and so many feats got released on top of those source books, it became so easy to find your bonuses all over and you're picking and choosing from a million different like niche places and bringing them all into one character that like, yeah, that balance was was very tough. It was pretty hard to, uh, to find. And to be honest, I don't know that there's like a really fair answer here because the Pathfinder, I'm sorry, the D and D five E edition, um, has the opposite rule to, to prevent this, right? Which is if you are using you, everybody gets the, the player's handbook and you get one source book on top of that. Right. So you couldn't, and I think I'm doing this technically in our Gestalt game, you wouldn't be able to share stuff that is in Tasha's with stuff that is in Xanadar, Right, like those two books, you can't combine those two books, which I think feels bad to be honest. Um, but is yeah, is the law of the land? No, I and and so the, the problem that, and like this is a very like you know I, I was trying to find it, but I couldn't. There is a very specific regional feat that like I think applied to like both. Like it's got a very clear ring thing in my head. It's like there's this very specific regional feat like gave a nice bonus to like bull rushes or something, right? That I always saw that was always like great in one e. Um, and I think I think you're right. I think you want to ideally be able to build your system such that you can pull things from wherever, right? Because it does feel bad to be like, well, I can't get this nice feat because of whatever. But you want to make sure they don't stack right. And I think that's I think why Paizo went, moved away from like, you know, splats every month with a couple feats in it that like one had less had less careful editing and two like, I don't th I I don't think we're like planned against 
being stacked against each other, like you said, right? Yeah, like the one the one that I'm specifically referencing is Belial's Bite. Yes, um, yes, this is the one. That, yes, which which is your unarmed strikes cause your opponents to bleed. It this prerequisite is just improved unarmed strike. When you damage an opponent with an unarmed strike, you deal one d an extra one d four bleed damage. The ability just is in the Pathfinder Adventure Path Volume Twelve, right from the first year of Paizo's existence. But it has forever been taken by a million monks, I'm sure, because that you know that gets pulled yeah. into every you know like ever all of these databases, right? Um, and I think that there's something there. Like one of the things that I liked about Pathfinder Two that that we talked about at the time was the the rarity, right? You had stuff that's uncommon, common, rare, right? Um, so that as a GM, you can just kind of say, no, this is not available for you in this in this region. Um, and I feel like that's like maybe a pretty a pretty fair solution. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's hard to like really um, re really pinpoint. Not because I, I don't think that you're um, that, that you're that you're largely correct. It's just kind of like, at what point are you, are, at what point are you disadvantaging certain characters over others? Because like you know, I don't think in one e it was particularly well sorted as to like you know, like that was like a good first order approximation of how to like tamp down on this issue, right? Yep. Um, but I don't think it, it was a good kind of like second order approximation. Also, like, you know, there's always something that sucks about being like, oh, like, I have this grand character concept and it really comes together with these feats and being like, no, because that makes your character a little bit too good, right? Like, it's, so, like, I will forever, like, my, one of my favorite things is I, I ran a, um, a Wrath of the Righteous campaign and I didn't, we didn't get super far into it, but, um, one of the players didn't even, like, go into all the splats. He basically just took every multi-shot that feat that he could Right. And like they were all like half of them were in the core rule book and he was a um, inquisitor and it was Wrath of the Righteous. So it's like, you know, his favorite enemy was like was demons or whatever. Yeah. Demons. Yeah. He had Demon Bane. Right? Yeah. Demon Bane. So he had like and his uh, it was that's a mythic campaign. So he had like a mythic. His mythic path was like an extra. Attack. Oh, my God. So he had like six attacks around. With like and each one of them the, deals plus two d six damage. damage. Yeah, holy <laughs> fuck! And that was like all core, like it was like ninety percent core <laughs> stuff. Right? Yeah. <coughs> wow, that's actually kind of funny. Yeah. See, this is the thing. I feel like Gestalt is this. Is, this is my bottom line in Gestalt. I guess. I guess we we can you know we can get there. I think Gestalt is a, an incredibly cool and interesting tool to allow someone to express. You know, not even weird, but just like a little off the beaten cut, yeah. like the the beaten path sorts of like builds and ideas for their character, right? Like this idea of a samurai who runs around with only a katana and in, uh, just in robes. That's like very iconic, right? But you couldn't actualize that in a D and D game under normal, like under under super normal rules. It's like it's hard to sort of like claw that out of the rules and the best way to actually bring it to the fore is with gestalt and you combine you know fighter and monk to make this this version of the samurai i did or you know like this version of the werewolf right um where the werewolf is uh a it, it combines the raging you know kind of idea this uncontrollable thing of the werewolf with the idea of taking on a bestial form like a druid does, right? Like the perfect iteration of that is combining barbarian and druid with gestalt. I feel like looking at gestalt and looking at it just like purely from like a numbers perspective, purely from like a power perspective, 
anytime anybody does that, I would say, no, I don't, we're not doing Gestalt for this campaign. But if somebody were to come to me and say, I want to play a, you know, I don't know. What's another, uh, some other archetype that could be, you I'll, know, I'll actualized this way. I'll, I'll give, I, I'll I would give you, it down. I'll give you a good example because this is like, so my other, other character um, that does not have free archetype. I've just been taking like using the standard archetype rules for is in this mm. is in is in this vein right like my uh, and I talked about this I think when when the advanced players guide came out which is I think that when Tui really kind of hit its stride right yeah um the the concept I came in with was punch wizard which is like you know it's kind of silly and, and and whatever but I I've got like a character backstory for it and it's a wizard that like delivers delivers most of his stuff through punches right like I don't get a lot of like the the mages kind of like spell punching stuff. Um, but I do like, you know, he, I took the, um, like the, it's called the, it's the martial artist archetype, which lets me punch things. And he's, he's a wizard, right? So he's like running around in his robes and he can, like, he gets all full nine levels of spell casting from his, um, from his wizardness. And then martial artist makes him, you know, competent enough with his punches that he doesn't have to worry about like missing things. Right. And similar, like he uses like mountain stance to like, um, get to, to get armor up. And so that like, the only way to like really realize that is with something that'll like give you those extra pieces, and um, I think to Tui's credit, you can accomplish most of that without the free archetype. But the free archetype yeah. lets, like, lets you also still be a wizard in some right, right? Because th that was one thing that I, I always felt was like kind of lacking um, with my with my cleric Hell Knight is he felt mostly like mostly like a split personality, right? Like like sometimes he was a healer, sometimes he like sometimes he was a healer that did a pretty decent job, and sometimes he was like a pretty mediocre fighter. Whereas when you have, uh, when you have the extra feed access, I think you can kind of get a little bit more of both, right? Like I can pick up a couple more feats in the cleric side that like really feed into that warrior focus. <coughs> um, Cause war cleric is one of kind of like the, the, the core fantasies that, um, uh, that pathfinder two, wants to enable with the cleric class. Yeah. Um, and so taking up the feats from the cleric side that enable that really helps out, um, the, uh, the hell knight side. And so, um, uh, I, I like I said I, I think I think there's a pretty a pretty bang up job done in the base rules, but I think the the free archetype just kind of like lets that flow more. So I, I definitely agree with you there, right? Like being yeah, able, it's, yeah, it's also one of those things where it's like I think um, I think in in Pathfinder One E I wouldn't do any arc like like Gestalt stuff just because I feel like One E did a very good job at just re like defeating this problem. You know, do you know about I watched this video on cryptocurrency like proof of work where it's just a brute force solution to this, like, dumb problem. That's kind of how I felt like Pathfinder 1E did. Instead of creating a sleek system for multi-classing, right, which this archetype system that you're describing probably is, right, that's pretty sleek, pretty elegant, pretty straightforward. They just attack the problem with raw numbers, words on the page, right? It's just, listen, if you can think of a fucking archetype, the odds are there is some class in the game that fulfills that archetype in about the way that you want it to. You just got to look, you know, you just got to yeah. read through a hundred like fighter archetypes or whatever. You want, you want the, you want the gunslinging wizard. There is a specific 
wizard archetype for that rather than being yeah, like exactly. and, and like some of this is honestly just in the classes themselves right like one of the things i've always wanted to do in in any DD game is play like a very martial focused druid right um that is not about spell casting that it's like mostly about just like getting in there with a full ba bab and fighting right um and they released that it's the shifter right it's just that is the that they just released that that class and when you have you know 10 years and dozens of mainline books and dozens and dozens of source books right you could just kind of brute force the problem into submission but i think in a world where you know dnd 5e releases one hardcover book every year and it is like you know, you just sort of have to find ways to allow folks to play, you know, if you want to be a beguiling spell blade and you want to combine illusionist and rogue, right, you can do that with Gestalt, right? Yeah. Um, or if you want to play a sniping archer who who's, like, powerful with a bow but is also getting sneak attack for being hidden, you can play a ranger, a ranger rogue. Right. Um, or any other, um, I'm trying to think of off the top of my head, any other of these sorts of kind of like iconic um, interpretations yeah. of, of characters. Yeah. I mean, I'm, and the, the basic one, I think, I think, I think the very basic one is like the, the warrior wizard, right. Of some, like the, the your standard kind of like fighter wizard, right. Like so much. Like so, spell blade. That yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Spell Magus, blade. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, 5e has some support for it where it's got like, um, it has like martial, ver like, like the, the 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 magical classes usually have like a martial subtype, and the martial classes usually have a semi magical subtype, um, and like you know, and two e solves this by like doing magus again because like you know it's like you like maybe you kind of want a, a, a bespoke mechanic to really marry those two things together, um, but uh, you know Gestalt kind of like lets you lets you lets you do that a little bit more ad hoc in a way that a way that makes sense. Um, they did really just did Magus again. I haven't paid enough attention to Tui stuff. Yeah, so so Secrets of Magic, which came out last year, has Magus. Okay. Ma Magus is a very Magus and Summoner are very limited spellcasters. Like they don't have a ton of um, a ton of slots. But Magus has Spell Strike, right, which lets you like cast while you hit. Um, whereas like kind of all of the all of the kind of like uh, uh, ad hoc things are like you don't really have the support to like. Like, Wizard has a feat which lets you, like, do extra damage with a strike on the turn that you cast a spell. But, like, that's not quite it. Um, yeah, I think the core... The, to me, the core fantasy of a Magus is I want to hit someone with my sword and cast Shocking Grasp on them with... Like, in yes, the same maneuver. Yes, yeah. Which is what Spell Strike is. Yes. Um, or maybe they called it something in 1E. One, one um, I think there's also some other different stuff. In one yeah. e, yeah, I mean, one e was weird because like theoretically, like Orion, you, you could you could like back end in spell strike without being a magus because technically touch spells could be delivered with unarmed attacks, which is yep. like which is like like neat and like makes kind of logical sense, but like I think was a balanced nightmare because it's just like no, you can't fucking do that anymore, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> um, I mean that that was the are you proficient with your own fists question, right? Yeah. Like. Yeah, and hey, you know it makes it maybe it makes sense that you're not right. Like you know, I I'm I'm not a like in real life I could like kind of punch you, but like I'd probably hurt myself in the process, right? Like I'm not trained. Um, yeah. Um. But yeah, no. Um. And I like and you know just just to kind of like give it its due, like the infinite the the infinite archetypes in one e were like 
a pain. But there was something nice about having all that bespoke level of attention, right? Like yep. custom mechanics that customly melded these two things together that you could get really get like that that little bit of flavor there that you could only get by like knowing the two the two constituent parts. But like it's just too much work. And I think the better way to do that yeah, is to like, like I mean and and I think about the redundancy that there is, right? Like how many different versions how many different archetypes are written that <laughs> Like, I communicate think- pirate, right? Because every single class gets its own, right? Like, I remember I was playing a pirate ranger, and the thing that happened with the pirate ranger, which was, like, the freebooter or something, you gotta, you gotta, these guys really worked hard to find, like, names for all this stuff, right? Yeah. Which was the freebooter was, instead of making, like, your animal, you didn't, you didn't have an animal companion, your animal companion was your crew, and something interesting happened with your crew that I don't remember, and it's just, like, Stuff like that is the is the yeah. the pain point um, because you just have to you just have to fill an encyclopedia to literally hit like every single fantasy archetype that somebody wants to play. So I, I think I think like I think having bonuses to your party instead of having an animal companion was a standard ranger thing. Um, so it wasn't that far afield, but like you know, they're like you're right, right? Like the one that always stands out in my mind is like when they released the gun, the book with the guns in it, right? Like. Every class got like, uh, and this class, but with guns archetype, right? Like you know, the the spell slinger, the big game hunter for for uh, for rangers, right? Like there was like there there was you know so much so much there, and like you're right, they like I remember like there's a couple like grenadier is like two different archetypes that they accidentally overnamed each other, and they're both <laughs> archetypes for yeah. alchemist. Yes, that's absolutely true. Yeah, so the for the freebooter. Instead of getting Hunter's Bond, um, they get Freebooter's Bond, which is a and this is the and this is the stuff too because you have to differentiate it, right? You can't just do the oh you generate you you have a bond with your teammates or whatever. No 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 no. The Freebooter Bond says you have to use a move action to grant your allies like uh, within thirty feet a combat prowess to their attack rolls only when they're flanking with the Freebooter, which is just like. You know, like, all of these hoops you have to jump through in order to, like, well, it's it's a little different. It's not quite, you know, Hunter's Bond, right? Like, and I just feel like everything had that, right? You know? Yeah, I mean, um, and, and I think I think the best version of, like, this archetype model is, um, and this is something I, I really credit Paizo with, is, like, fucking Cavalier doesn't need to be its own class, right? Like, it's just, like, you know, it's because you need to be, like, have a knight on a horse, because that's, like, such a core fantasy archetype, right? You need to have that somewhere in your fucking game, right? And so you just make it an archetype, right? Like, and so, like, you can go take Cavalier, you have a horse, and you can do horse stuff, right? Um, and, like, you don't have to worry about it. Or you don't have to worry about building a whole <laughs> fucking class about, like, flying banners. You have to do some mechanic, right? We can't just, you know, we can't just <laughs> fight our horse. Um, I mean, I like, and I, you know, I would go to bed for Cavalier. I like Cavalier quite a lot, but I do think I agree with you, especially, you know, in comparison to some of the more, like, you can tell they got better at this stuff over time, yeah. which is natural. Everybody, you know, like, iterates, I'm sure, as as the design sort of coalesced, they figured out that Cavalier, which was maybe in one of their first two or three books, right, um, was, uh, was sort of a swing and a miss compared to something like, you know, I don't know, the, the multi-class... Uh, like Blood Ranger or whatever. Right. Any any anything from that era, I think those were all like really well done. Um, in comparison, uh, except for Scald. Fuck the Scald, which also should have just been an archetype. 
You're yeah, you're probably right. I mean, I did like I I like this called a lot, but like you know, you're right. I'm not gonna say you're wrong there, right? <laughs> I don't even remember what what was the skull. I the need skull to, was I need supposed to be like a barbarian bard, multi-class. Right, thing. barbarian and bard. Um, okay, yeah, I'm beginning to remember. Um, and and like, I mean, the problems there because were... their songs were raging yeah. and they would do rage. Their their buffs were Ra giving rage. everybody rage. I now remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, and it was like not as great rage. And the problem was is that like I st I think it either it had I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was either it had to be weak enough that it that you that you could justify not taking away the spellcaster's ability to cast, or the spellcasters didn't want it because they couldn't fucking cast while they were raging. Um, that was like kind of like the, the core intractable, intractable Yeah, I mean, and this is just like a normal thing, right? Like, I think the bard itself is always a hard thing to balance around um, because, you know, I remember this, this was a thing in League of Legends. They used to talk about this, how buffs to five players are, you know, you're magnifying the like the value of that buff by a lot right so you know if you think about getting you know getting dragon in league right that represents 190 gold for me individually but it represents about a thousand gold for the whole for the whole team right 950 gold and boosting my gold count by 950 at any point in the game is huge for my team that's like a huge advantage um and that's the kind of thing that's always tough right like it never it never translates as well as you want it to yeah 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 all right well um i don't know i feel like i feel like we're kind of like petering out here did, did you do you want to do you have anything else to, to talk about with this, this gestalt you know thing? i've hit all of the important points all of the stuff that i wanted to talk about when it came to when it came to gestalt uh i've i've hit on i guess i want to say um do you, the, my last thing, do you have any things that you would want to, like, make in, like, like? do you have any, like, concepts that you feel like, oh, God, I want to do a gestalt of this thing because I feel like it really hits that, that mark? Um, I, like, like I said, I think I've been able, like, I've been able to, like, hit a lot of that with the tools that I have um, in 2E, right? Like, the big one for that was this punch wizard, and I was able to build him like in one e it was always about trying to do it without anything gestalt wise right and that was always like using weird rules like figuring out how to like give a wizard um unarmed proficiency or like proficiency with a gauntlet which would have been close enough and like giving him an armored skirt because technically that gave you a plus one without requiring a proficiency or whatever um whereas with uh in Tui, right like i built this character and it was fairly straightforward i took a uh uh, I started with a racial uh, feat to give me an unarmed strike, and then I took the the archetype to like make it a little bit better, and uh, it had feats to like give me armor class while being unarmored, right? And so that was that was good enough for me. Um, and so, um, I I always have like a, a a thousand different like kind of like little things like this, but like, um, I think I think the PF two E free archetype thing captures most of it, and even without it, you can get a lot of the way there. Um, uh, without, without a problem. Um, uh, Lou says, oh, hey, you have chatter in Discord. I don't know what that's a reference to. Um, I, you know, I started looking in Discord to see if anybody had, like, shown up and started chatting. Uh, but I didn't see, uh, I didn't see it, so. I don't know. Um, so, like, a couple weeks ago, Charles, or friend of the cast, Charles, wanted to jump in. Um. Oh, oh, our, uh, ah, we, we posted it to the promo. Ignite Vanguard Discord in the promotions You channel. must have posted it to the, the promo 
channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is. Um, I think it's like linked or whatever. Ah, I see. Um, but uh, anyway, since we got a little bit of an extra, of, oh, so I'm, I'll reflect the question back to you. Did you have a character that you really wanted to build with uh, with this that wasn't? That wasn't Honestly, the big one was <laughs> was the samurai content. But I, I've definitely thought about some of these other ones. One that I always really wanted to go for was um, like I feel like Paladin has a lot to gain from multi like classing around, especially into something like um you know sort of getting like a nature focused paladin like druid i kind of like the idea of a druid that is in wild shape smiting stuff like a paladin right um or um oh yeah you know that, another that one would, that i said that I would thought be a of, good way to sorry? back i said that would be a good way to back your way into like warden as like you know like that's, yeah, the thing that, I'm, that's I'm actually like exactly what i'm that's like exactly what i'm talking about um yeah, I, so, so kind of yeah. in that vein, I am waiting for Paizo to put out the new, like, it's got, like, the good champions and the evil champions. I'm waiting for the neutral ones, because, like, the character that's the Hell Knight, that's the Hell Knight cleric, he's really a, um, he's really a lawful neutral champion, a lawful neutral paladin, mm. but that doesn't exist yet, right? So I have to be a cleric. And, like, paladin... Hell Knight makes a lot of sense, right? Like, it feels like... It's yeah, I mean, you. I'm, my stance on this has been rock solid for years. I think paladins should be divorced from... I mean, they should be divine, but to me, paladins should be all about alignment, right? Like, yeah. and it should be, you know, all of the alignments around the around the circle. So you are a lawful neutral paladin and you're a whatever, right? Or you're a chaotic evil paladin and you're a, and you're a whatever. Um, Super Anno in the Discord says, Monk is the hardest I find a multi-class in 5e because they get many benefits of different classes and monk only upgrades as well it's hard to find the right level balance even on paper like you know three or two or four to one it doesn't make sense for a monk and i actually kind of like feel that and i think this is one of the things that gestalt gets right that multi-classing feels weird to do because as you you know like when you're walking up the ladder when you're multi-classing you know you have to do this um um you have to do this sort of like dance where you are picking up features that are kind of intended for a lower level character for you, right? So like, for instance, um, I would say a pretty core feature of something like something like Druid, uh, it kicks in, you know, like these are things that kick in at level four or like five or 10. But if I were to try and hybridize via multi-classing Paladin and Druid, I would have to walk both of those up and I'm at level 10, but I'm at two level five classes, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, th and, and this is where I kind of feel like multi-classing has like eventually sort of fallen off for me. Um, outside of a system that is built around it, uh, so for instance, the Star Wars Second Edition, so not the Saga Edition, but the the one before that, which was a uh, which was kind of a like it was D twenty or whatever. That was always built around prestige classes. The real power in that system came in all of the different prestige classes that you could pick up, right? And it was just about finding the most efficient way to get yourself into those prestige classes, which was also kind of true. More or less in three five. I would say like, um, that was very true in three five. That like you you were yeah bidding on prestige. It was I I just mean it was really true in Star Wars right like Star Wars was basically figure out a way to prestige class look at what your what on the horizon you want your prestige class to be and find the efficient path to get there because that's when like the game like kicked in essentially um, and. Uh, and I think in that sort of situation, multi-classing can work out well because, like, you're doing it in service of this greater goal of getting your 10 levels of, you know, whatever it is you're looking for. Jedi duelist, right? And you're just, like, a fucking nightmare god with a lightsaber. Um, but otherwise, I sort of prefer, like, archetyping and gestalt as, uh, 
as options. Yeah. No. And and so I I think one of the one of the interesting things is that like and you talked about this a little bit when it's like you know you really want to embrace the character fantasy rather than kind of like the the sheer optimization aspect. Yep. Because like there's this like I know that like whenever I look at these things it's like oh. Anytime I pick something that will have an overlap, that's like power left on the table, and that's bad, right? Like I could I could be squeezing a little bit more juice out of that, um, but you know I've got like a duplicate feature, um, and that's actually- you know I will say that I do think that there is one small flaw in that logic, right? Which is that I think you can create, and and this sort of happened to me with the fighter monk because I am already a melee DPS guy, right? Even though there's some overlap in that, right? There's some stuff I'm getting as fighter that I'm not really using. There's some stuff I'm getting as monk that I'm not really using because kind of the other version does it does it like yeah, better, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, there's something to be said about the kind of multiplicative effect of doing both at once, I guess, if that makes sense. So it is less about, um, you know... It, it's less about there's power left on the table. If I went wizard, which is completely antithetical to fighter, I would pick up all this extra power. And it is more about finding the overlap. Because, you know, everybody, you only have a certain number of actions per round. Right, no. I- it's about finding that overlap and going, oh, I can use, you know, I'm getting these extra weapon strikes as a fighter, right? And then I use action surge. And then I also have on top of that these free actions. And here's my one-a-day burst window that's insane, right? Because each of my individual attacks with my monk weapon are however much damage. And I'm getting this free attack, a bunch of unarmed strike, however much extra damage. And I repeat that whole process with action surge, however much damage. All of that, like, creates a really powerful, you know, like in WoW terms, you'd call that like a cooldown window, right? Like a burst window. Yeah. that is uh, that is about finding that the the Venn diagram overlap of how do these things right like where are they specifically synergistic um, in there in the in the way that they overlap rather than kind of you're leaving power on the table because monk and fighter both give you the this 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 thing whatever it is proficiency and con saves or yeah. whatever yeah <laughs> like, no I, I I think I think you're probably right there right it's like you know. Yes, theoretically, I'm getting more power by by diversifying, but like it's also like you can't use it all at once. So I think I think you're I think you're right there. I will say though that I like the PF2E system because like there's less of that, right? Like there's a like I occasionally have issues where it's like if I want to be like, if I want to take Mauler, right? Mauler's like the the two hander archetype, right? If yep. I'm already on a class that kind of like gives some of those base, um, like the like the the dedication feat usually gives you kind of like proficiency with everything, and like if I'm already a fighter, right? Like you know, who cares? I already have access to all of that. Um, but that's also, like, much less of a of an ask, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Like it's I like, also it's, like the idea of a splash more than just, like, a raw... You know, like, in Magic the Gathering, we talk about splashes, right? Um, it's really common when you're drafting, uh, like, limited, you're doing, like, booster drafts to splash a color where you only have four or five spells and you only have four or five lands of that color. And it's just like, you know, just a sort of, these are a couple of powerful cards filling out the deck, right? And I feel like, I think I prefer a version of Dungeons and Dragons where the splash is, I'm splashing another class rather than doubling up on classes, right? Like, I like the idea that I am kind of, here's, here's a little accent, right? You know, that's not the full thing, but it is enough of it to just like. I think put you, my you know like put 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 my own spin on it. That feels good to me. That's 
I mean, honestly, that's PF2E, right? Like that's yeah. uh, even base, right? Even without free archetype. Um, and I know you haven't played a lot of it. Have you played any of it at all, actually? I have not played any of it. Oof. Well, at some point, you should get yourself into a, a 2E game because um, uh, it's, it's, it's good stuff. And I, I honestly, I, I think it's only getting better. Um, that, I mean, that's honestly like the best news, right? We said that we said that at the time. We were just like, you know, this is this is a strong start, but it's really lacking just in terms of like volume of content. But it's been a couple of years now, right? And they're and they're releasing the books, so yeah. I mean, and, and on the negative side, right? There's obviously some like crunch allegations or some other things that are not great about Paizo. Mark Seifter actually just left, or yes, has just like oh yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 I think I think it like officially happened like today. Right, it's like his first day at at, at um at a uh, role for combat, um. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's gonna still he's gonna still um freelance for Paizo, and uh, I have not given it a good uh, a thorough read through, but I did purchase the uh, Battle Zoo Bestiary because like it's got like you know cut pieces off of monsters and use them as like as like uh, as like things for your character, which is like oh that's my jam, right? Like that's the shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and apparently he wrote he wrote those systems, so I'm I'm excited to dive into that at some point. But, Very uh, cool. Yeah, and so like that did, did, like that's actually the the first big third party thing I think that I've seen for uh for PF2E because um, there's not nearly as much of it as there was for like Oney. Oney there was like 500 barbarian feats for 99 cents in the D20 PFSRD store. And I like buy them and like you know you know they were like fine, but like you could tell that they weren't quite well balanced, right? It's like oh this is <coughs> very cool and way too strong um so i can't actually use this but uh yeah yeah or it's like to- to- it's like you know totem of the otter yeah where it's like who the fuck would ever use this right oh when you rage you go down a size category and you also get a 10 foot swim speed it's like <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> like, am i supposed to do this for the lulz like what the fuck is the point uh, yeah, and th- there were some of those oh, fucking. I think it was Red Goblin games. Like, um, there were a couple of books that's like, here's here's a class. It's a punk rocker, and here's a class. It's chimney sweep. Right? It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like Rat Catcher was the class that I actually kind of thought was neat because you were like, it was, it was like you you. It's like you were a ranger, but instead of having an animal companion, you had a swarm, yeah. and you did all this stuff with your fucking rat swarm, like. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. But uh, you know, uh, that was that was in the the good old days. Um, but uh, we're 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 about crossing over the time threshold, and uh, I think we've beaten this topic to death. Buddy, how was your week? Boy, how was my week? Uh, I did a couple of things. You know, like my, my the big thing that happened this week is we started running Mythic Plus keys, and we were like, man, this fucking sucks, right? Like nine point two is right around the corner. Right, you know, it's a couple, of, like, it's a couple of weeks away, probably somewhere in February. Right, um, most of us don't even really have that much to gain. Right, like I have like fifty DPS to gain by picking up a two fifty two version of my two forty six trinket or whatever. It's like, am I gonna run ten dungeons a week for plus six eye levels? Like, I, yeah, you do, you just kind of hit that moment when you're playing the game and you're like, what is going on? Why am I doing this? I have nothing to, I have nothing to gain from this thing, right? Uh, but obviously, like, we all wanted to, we all wanted to hang out together. So we ended up doing two things. The first thing was playing Heroes of the Storm, which I'm delighted to inform you is just as fucking awesome as ever, dude. That game is like, 
Oh god, it's so dumb. It's so stupid, but it's like just like really fun in like a in like a stupid uh, in a stupid, dumb, fun way. I'm actually really surprised that I consistently have this feeling when I go back and I play, I play Heroes of the Storm. Um, you know, part of it is that the game is mostly the same, right? You know, it's on a, it's on a pretty skeleton crew. They release maybe one champion every six months, one champion a year. Um, so it's like not, there's not all that much to like, like learn and adapt to, right? If I were to walk back into League of Legends right now, I'd be facing down all of these champions who've had champion reworks and who, you know, new champions and they're really fucking complicated. Like, you know, that the gun guy that we were talking about where he has five different guns and you have to memorize and each one of the guns changes his QWE. And so you have to memorize, you know, 15 different abilities that he can use in any need. It's like, what the, f I don't want to do any of that. That sounds awful, right? <laughs> like, um, and so walking into a game that has pretty low overhead, because I've played it before, even if the last time I played it was two or three years ago, um, and it's still mostly the same, uh, feels feels good, feels great. The champions that I thought were really dumb fun continue to be very dumb fun. The maps continue to be very dumb fun, which I also enjoy, because it's like another part of the puzzle that I think makes Here's the Storm work is, you know, like the, the, the map-based objectives. And, you know, just like getting there with a bunch of people who haven't played the game recently. Nobody's doing like the meta slave thing, you know, like that, that it's just, that's just a recipe for success is, is what that feels like. Um, and then the other thing we started doing was playing WoW's classic season of mastery, which is, um, okay. So, 2019 while classic comes out it is just no changes everybody said they didn't want any changes so blizzard said sure fine no changes now it is some some changes little changes actually just like just just a few so um uh when the burning crusade came out they also released what's called classic season of mastery classic season of mastery is an abridged version of the classic cycle so the whole thing cycles over a year um and they got rid of a bunch of stupid stuff that nobody liked like spell batching which was an old system for like basically god how do, how do i explain spell batching spell batching is like imagine all spells use a get have to get on a bus in order to in order to actually be cast, right? So every 60, you know, frames, essentially, there is, no matter where your spell gets cast in that, it gets on the bus and then it fucking casts off of the buffs. And they immediately got rid of this because eventually broadband internet made it fast enough that you could do this. But it was a it was an old version for when you had to play WoW using a dial-up internet connection. Um, that's gotten rid of world buffs have gotten rid of all this other sort of stuff you know you you can't uh you can't do the thing where you're just permanently slowing mobs and kiting them around in dungeons anymore which was a pretty popular tactic you just bring a bunch of mages into a dungeon and they all permanently slow it over and over and over again um until things die which is very dumb but an, an efficient way to level um so, but the big thing that they, that they changed was they added this thing called the soul of iron, which is essentially hardcore, right? You go to a guy, you say, I'd like the soul of iron buff, please. And if you haven't, if you haven't died, he puts the buff on you. And when you die, you lose the soul of iron buff and you get a debuff that says like defeated soul or something like that. Right. 
Um, so it's essentially just hardcore mode. All it does is track whether or not you have died and display that on your buff bar. Um, we decided to get together, the five of us, and uh, well, so first it was three of us, and we were doing and we were doing season mastery. We're doing hardcore mode. We're having a great time. We're we're all leveling night elves. We get we get to level ten. Everybody has a level ten class quest, and the class quest for level ten night elves is to go find a satyr. Now, we didn't read the quest text on this. So we go, we walk up to the satyr, we attack him, and he instantly spawns six copies of himself that start beating the ever-loving shit out of us. All three of us die. And we read the quest text and reveal that you're actually supposed to stealth up to the satyr and pickpocket him. You're not supposed to attack him. Because when you attack him, he summons these fucking minions and he kills you. So that was the first time we died in, in our hardcore run. We rerolled all of our characters as undead. We picked up two more so that we have a true dungeon group now, right? Um, the In classic, the undead could be warlocks, mages, rogues. Uh, warriors and priests so we have a priest healer and a warrior tank uh and we just started questing through tears full glades and it was very stupid and dumb because obviously these fucking like dark hounds are not supposed to be killed by five people so we run up to these dark hounds <coughs> everybody gets one global auto attack off and it fucking dies because it's supposed to be a challenge for one person not five people but the thing is is that the quests are written such that like when a an item drops, only one person can loot that item. So if you have to get a vial of Darkhound blood, you have to kill... You know, if you have to get six items, vials of Darkhound blood, you have to get 30 vials because there's five people in the party. Which means you have to kill, like, a genocidal number of Darkhounds. <laughs> And uh, and that turned out to be pretty fun. Who knew? Running around killing shit with, with the boys is, uh, is a good time. Um... We're now level 12. We've beaten the world record. We're a world record level. Level 12 with the with the Soul of Iron. And we're going to see we're going to see what we, we can do. The plan is to eventually wait, get wait. into some dungeons. Um Wait, are are you actually the only people at level 12 with Soul of Iron? No, 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 no. Okay. Or, no, no, no. The world record for us. Okay, what, okay. Yeah, yeah. The, I was going to so, say like by the way, are you kidding me? <laughs> Really the world record, which happened over the weekend, is actually uh, 38 people killed Ragnaros without dying, um, which is four months after release. It was called the Road to Ragnaros, um, and they had a couple of uh, they had a couple of failed like failed runs where they wiped and had to re-level the character from scratch. Yeah, start over, start over from scratch. Uh, the reason this is is because part of the changes is they. Um, uh, they added mechanics to the raid bosses, right? So um, all of the raid bosses have double the health that they, they originally did, and they have more mechanics. Um, so, like, you could actually die to shit now, whereas before you basically didn't because most of the bosses were just, like, tank and spank, don't stand in the fire, that's it. Um, so I remember that yeah. being particularly hard, is to get people to not stand in the fire. I, I remember class... <laughs> <laughs> oh man i also so like back back in those glory days right like i remember being like a level 58 and some group being so some raid group being so hard up for fucking healers that they pulled like my level 58 priest ass and it's like nice you know it's like just heal the fucking main main tank over that's what that's your only job it's like okay i'll spam greater heal <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, dude. Oh God. <sighs> yeah. So those are those are like the two big things. The other thing that I've been doing is playing Anno 1800, which is a game that I bought on Steam a long time ago. Um, and then it went exclusive to the Epic Store, but people had already purchased it on Steam. So it's now like unlisted on Steam, and I don't think you can buy it now, but um I've been playing that. It is a city builder about making number go up. And honestly, the most frustrating thing about it is that there is no global like supply and demand charts where I can just see, okay, how much of the thing am I producing? How much of the thing am I consuming at any given you know, rate or whatever. I can see that for individual cities, but like part of the, you know, part of the appeal of that game is that you're setting up colonies on these different islands. So, you know, I might set up a guy on an island to, because the island has red peppers on it and I want to farm red peppers, right? And I want to take those red peppers and I want to bring them back to my main city. But if I look at my red pepper intake on my main city, it says zero because I'm not producing any red peppers. I'm shipping them from the other island. And even though the game seems to be built around these shipping lanes and the idea that I am using colonies to ship stuff to a main manufacturing center, as would be, you know, you would assume because it is Anno 1800 right. and and, this sounds like you know, colonialism, right? Like, yeah, it is just raw colonialism. The fucking game, right? Um, it's it's it just won't show me that number. So I have to go look at the one city and look at the red pepper number, and then go and kind of intuit because this is the thing that's also frustrating about it. I can see myself consuming red peppers, but if I'm consuming red peppers, it won't show me at negative red peppers. It'll show me at zero right? Because I have zero. The chart doesn't go below zero. So I can't see that I am consuming, let's say, six red peppers. I'm at negative six red peppers per turn. Not turn, minute, who cares? Whatever the number is, right? Uh, so all of that sucks and I fucking hate that. But otherwise, the game is great and I'm having an awesome time. Uh, it's just like... <coughs> I had I, I was I was having an argument with somebody the other day not too long ago where we were talking about whether or not you it would be fun playing WoW via spreadsheets right where you get rid of all the lore you get rid of all the you know it's just all you, your spells are spell one two three four and five your passives are passive one two three and four your class is class one two three four you play a formless white blob and you do all of the same stuff that you do in a WoW like fight or whatever. Um, and somebody said, that just sounds like spreadsheets, the game. And that sounds really unfun. And I said, yes, that does sound really unfun. And then I went and I realized that I play plenty of games that could be accurately described as spreadsheet, the game, because any pie paradox, you know, strategy game fits that label and any like, you know, so weird esoteric mechanic in Stellaris that I could sit down and explain, but is really fucking stupid also basically fits that label. So, so there's, there is, I think something there. Cause like, there's a couple points this right like one this all this was like a thing that happened because in marvel versus capcom infinite i think it was was like that was like the first like post mcu marvel versus capcom and you know who was really popular in marvel versus capcom one two and three the x-men you know who wasn't in marvel versus capcom infinite the x-men because the mcu <laughs> didn't have the mcu didn't have control over them right and marvel mm. didn't want to promote them um 
And so the poor community manager, um, a position I'm sure you, you can you can relate to, he's like some FGC guy. He's like, eh, it's no big deal. We got another character that's got like the same like he used some like term. It's like same like same form essentially, right? Has the same yeah. basic move set, right? It's like if it's not Wolverine, right? Like you know you're missing the fucking you know. And you know it was like you know yeah we get it. You have to say that because this is your fucking job. But like you know don't don't fucking like you know you know pee on us and tell us it's raining, right? Um, uh, but the other part of this is, um, this is the thing I've heard about board game design, right? And then you could basically split games in these two categories, right? Whereas, like, there's some that are, like, pure mechanics. The, the one that I've seen a lot for this is, like, Splendor, which is just kind of like a, a basic economic, like, gem trading game. Um, but, like, if you stripped everything out, you wouldn't be able to tell what it is. But, like, there are a lot of games with, like, strong enough theming that, like, even if you stripped everything out, you could get an idea of what was happening. The one I usually hear used for this is Pandemic. I haven't, don't have a lot of experience with it. Um, mm -hmm. So I have to take it at face value. But the idea that, like, even if you stripped all those things out, if you, like, looked at the numbers, you would start to get a feeling for, like, what fantasy this was supposed to be encompassing. You could backwards kind of um, uh, backwards pull that in. And I feel like Paradox games are pretty decent at that. Um, I don't yeah, I, you know, and I think about I think about the times in a Paradox game or like Factorio, you know, which I was playing recently. There was this moment in Factorio, I remember, because in Factorio, you can see in very clear detail, which I love, the that, that intake and output chart, basically, right? It'll show you in a period of five seconds, in a period of one minute, in a period of ten minutes, all the way up, right? <clears throat> how much of a thing you're producing, how much of a thing you're consuming kind of over time. And I remember, and I was sitting there, and Rachel was asking me what I was doing. And all I was doing was clicking the little nodes on that chart to compare. It's like, okay, I want to see iron to iron plates to steel to railroad ties. All right. Okay. Okay. And then you unclick all this. I want to see copper to copper plates to copper wires. Oh, uh, okay. You know, like and I was doing that for like 20 minutes straight. She's just like, what the fuck are you doing? Cause I was just standing still. She kept passing me by and she was like running around like stuff. And I was like, I'm making sure the, the rates are good. I need to, the, you know, like the production and consumption rates to be perfect. <laughs> no, I definitely, I, I feel that. I feel that. Um, uh, although to kind of like launch into my week, um, one of the big things is I played a bunch of, or I played a long night of CK3 with friends of the mm. cast, Nick, Nick and X. And something I like about that game is that, like, is much less about, like, the numbers there, right? Like, much less than, like, Stellaris, at least. I haven't played a ton of EU4, but I get the impression that's also true there, is you can be, like, just fucked by, like, random stuff. And I think that's part of the joy of CK3, right? I know that frust like I know that frustrates friends of the cast, Monic. I know that it's frusted out some of the people we play with, right? Like, something will happen. You'll just be like, you have to build it all fucking back up again. But I think that's, like, the, the thing that makes it, like, Fun and the thing you really have to like accept if you're going to do a long run CK3 game is you know, not everything's going to go right. In fact, a lot of things are going to go wrong. And uh, <laughs> at some point in the game, everything's going to fall down. You're going to have to build it back up again. And you know, it's fine because like the, you're, you're playing for the characters. You're not like, you know, I don't know. I think the biggest mistake anyone can make when playing like a CK in particular is to be like, I would like to turn this whole map like the color of my, of my empire right oh yeah i mean and that and that is the 4x dream right yeah. like that is the that's kind of like the fundamental uh appeal of of playing a 4x game is you turn the map blue or whatever yeah um and i think it's, it's much better to like kind of figure out like what you want this character to do and like kind of like make them lead that life and follow that right like uh you know it's 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 kind of like it's kind of like playing house but with like 
armies rather than it's like the sims yeah almost, yeah a little bit like. yeah but it's like you know it's like like my if your goal should like you know when i like something i want to do and i haven't i don't want to do this in a single player game because like i don't think this kind of objective is well suited to a multiplayer game it's like you know start in scandinavia migrate to the british isles and form the dane geld um which is like um like uh or the dane law rather um yeah uh which is like you know the the alternate history where the you know the nor like you know the the Scandinavians took over um, England and ruled it as kind of Scandinavians as opposed to like uh, you know assimilating you know, have assimilating in both directions into kind of like the English identity because um, I think it'd be a neat thing to do right and that's a goal and yeah I mean there's a lot of that in uh, Hearts of Iron which is maybe the worst of the paradox games in terms of playing spreadsheet the game right like Hearts of Iron four and Hearts of Iron four is like mercifully cleaned up compared to like all of these other hearts of iron games um but just like i have watched hour-long youtube videos that are like hearts of iron four the basics you know what i mean like like the, the very basics right like navy design all you need to know hearts of iron four It'll be like a four and a half hour video or something like that. Just explaining. It's like, okay, well, if you have combat, you know, like the, the main stat apparently is combat width and, or no, I'm sorry. It's like, it's manpower and combat width because combat width describes how many units you can fit into like a block on the front next to one another. Right. And so you need a good combat width for that. And then you also need like a certain amount of like manpower, just kind of like morale or, um, uh, HP in a way, right? Like that's the, the thing you, you keep fighting until your manpower is gone and then they like retreat something like that. And it's just like, I think those games are super fun, but the fun thing about hearts of iron is like the alternate history of like, okay, let me make a fascist United States, right? Or do a version of, you know, every, apparently everybody does this in hearts of iron where they do a version of the Nazis where they don't invade Russia. Can you win? Right. Yeah. Um, I've done that game, and you can win. It's actually kind of easy, to be honest. Uh, not that easy. You can, you can't really beat America, but you can you can definitely beat England that way. Um, and just like so stuff like that, right? Like I think I think that's the the top level motivating stuff. So, so um, you want you want to hear something really fucking funny? So what? So uh, for people who are not in New Hampshire, you will not know this, but very recently <laughs> a group of, a group of uh, state legislators proposed. Uh, New Hampshire seceding from the United States, which didn't get a lot, of, yeah. which didn't get a lot of traction. But <laughs> one of the people that's like part of that broader movement posted on Twitter a screenshot of EU four, where New Hampshire <laughs> formed its own kingdom and separated from the United States. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing! Actually, yeah, right, like. Yep. You know, it's a little bad shit, enough. but like, you know, if you're enjoying it and you're having fun, go for it, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've done that before, actually, because one of the things you can do in EU4 is you can make your own, you can like make your own nation, right? Um, and uh, I made a nation that starts in 1444, I think is the year that all this starts in, in that's like the base year of Europe Universalis. And I made a nation that was the 13 colonies. I made the United States, but in 1444, independent of like England, it wasn't a colony or anything like that. And I colonized all of the United States 
Um, and honestly, that game was insanely fun. I had a really great time uh, because it is hard. It is, like, a lot harder than you think because the game is not built to have... Like, the game is built for the new world to be colonizable, right. not to start as colonized. Um, and so I would get in all of these wars with, like, you know, like, Spain came in and they took, essentially, Louisiana... But Louisiana is it's a little bit different. But they essentially took Louisiana. And I was like, this is bullshit. What are they going to fucking do? Right? And I declared war on Spain. I went and I occupied Louisiana. And then it gave me like 0.01% war score. Because it expects me to be fighting Spain on the Spanish mainland. So I couldn't win the war. We had to white piece. I was like, this is so dumb. But like the game mechanics are just not built around. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like me going and kicking them out of their colony and taking that colony for myself. That's interesting, huh? No, because like you know, th this is this is kind of like this, this th that kind of mechanic makes more sense than kind of like the the CK three European kind of sense because like you're, you're never yeah well like, it, it makes like, sense in Europe Universalis as you play because what it expects you to do is you're England you see that they colonize Louisiana and you go hey fuck you I declare war on Spain and I just send guys to Spain and I start you know capturing Spanish territory I get enough war score. And they peace out, and I take Louisiana as part of the, you know, like that's the that's yeah, the yeah. core mechanic. But the thing is, is that like, that's because Spain and England are right next to each other, and they can just duke it out right. in Europe. But when you are in, you know, when you're in the New World, it's like I'm not gonna, what am I gonna fucking do here? Like send a bunch of galleys across and try and like oh, launch a naval invasion of mainland Spain from New York City, <laughs> like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that is that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, what else have you been? What else have you been playing? What else have you not, went up been up to? Um, so uh, only big new thing is uh, last week I went and saw Bell, which is another. It's like an anime film um that uh got, got translated and re released over here. I um, got actually at least in my local theater pad. Like usually these get like one show time or two show times, one for the dub and one for the sub. This had like show like multiple showings for both the sub and the dub. So like good on that. It is one of the prettiest movies I've seen in a long time, but the story's kind of a mess. Um, and <laughs> so, um, and it's like, like, it's very loosely Beauty and the Beast, right? Like, like I like I, I picked on this up on this way too late, but like the character's name is Belle, and then she goes and like there's like, you know, a, a scarred, you know, person, a scarred person that looks like a dragon that they call the beast and he lives in a castle and then there was a rose and i was like oh <laughs> um except there's like some weird so this this is something that i've i've seen I, I i couldn't tell you the name of the other movies where i've seen this but it's like this weird uh this i don't want to call it weird but like this this thing is obviously very different from like um american and japanese culture where like you expect the beast to be like the romantic interest um and, like, there's, like, a real-life person that's also the – like, oh, so I have not explained the, the, the premise of this movie. The premise of this movie mm. is that there is, like, an, a, a virtual reality universe that you can drop into, right, as, like, a person. And the main our main character is a girl who has gone through tragedy and she finds herself um, freed by being a different person in this virtual reality. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of interesting. Um, I mean, it's an interesting concept, but I don't think it's executed on particularly well. It's kind of one note. It's like, you know, she can't sing in the real world because of tragedy. She drops the virtual universe and she can sing. And that's about as deep as it gets. Um, and uh, and so, like, there is a real world romantic interest and a um, 
and kind of like, and then there's the beast in uh, in the game, and in my head, um, like my expectation is like, oh, the revelation is going to be that the beast is the real world romantic interest, right? Like, and I feel like that's probably like a very American centric kind of like Hollywood centric way that that would work out, um, and it's not. Um, I mean, are you going to see this movie? Do you, do you care about spoilers? I do not care. All right. Spoil away, bud. Spoilers for Belle, for any of you in the audience that do want to watch. Um, it turns out the Beast is like a 14-year-old kid that's being abused by his father. It's like totally unrelated, right? And like then the plot shifts to like, you know, dealing with that, right? Um, but it, it, it is – I could tell it was, it was weird because they signposted it earlier in the movie. Like one of this girl's like like real world like, – like she's in a choir and like – Again, the singing thing is, is like a big thing. But the um, uh, she's in a choir, and one of like the older ladies in the choir was like, "Oh, when I was in high school, I like wrote a song for someone I was, uh, you know, someone I fancied. I was, I was, um, or when I was in high school, I was, uh, I was on an exchange pro- uh, program to Ohio in my senior year." And uh, one of the other ladies says, "Oh, did anything ever come with it?" She's like, "No, he was in eighth grade." And it's like, "What?" <laughs> um, and that, that's like, that's obvious, very obviously the thing where it's like, kind of like, you know, there's obviously some romantic tension between Belle and the Beast, right? And it's like, Belle is in high school, the Beast is 14 in real life, right? Um, <laughs> it's like, I see what you did, like, you had to do, and you know, I, you know, it's it's it is, you know, resolves it's non-romantic, right? It's just kind of like, yeah. She, um, and this is part of where, like, the story falls kind of apart, right? Like, you know, like, everybody's supporting her. She's like, oh, you have to go find the Beast and, and save him or whatever, right? And, like, you know, there's, like, this big climactic scene where, like, you know, the ladies from the choir and, like, her high school friends are all there. Because, like, part of it is, like, she's, she's a superstar in virtual reality, but no one knows. Um, and, uh, and so, like, you know, it's a whole big thing. And then she finds out, because they live, she lives in, like, the southern part of Japan and, like, the Beast lives in, in like, Tokyo. And so, mm-hmm. and so, um, the, the chorus ladies like drive her to the train station to go like face down this like abusive father. And she's like, you know, a high school girl and the choir ladies are like, should we have gone with her? And she's like, no, she has to do this on her own. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and like, you know, it all works out, right? Obviously it's a movie. Um, but like, it's like. Like all this, like there's like so many moments in this movie where it's like, what the fuck is happening, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Uh, um, but you know, like I said, it was very, 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 very pretty, right? Like, if you want to just kind of like sit down and like, I would not pay a lot of money to see this movie if that makes sense. Like, I have, I have an unlimited, uh, I have like Regal Unlimited, which is like the Regal, you know, infinite movie tickets thing. So I didn't feel bad about it, right? It paid my like fifty cents booking fee and went and saw the movie. Um, and if it came to streaming, I'd, I'd watch it. It's, like I said, it's very pretty, but I don't think it's a particularly uh, good movie. Um, the only other thing I did with my week um, of any note is um, uh, I played a bunch of Guilty Gear, which is not new. But, like, I just, like, really got into a groove. It was, like, I just, like, ran sets on Saturday for, like, a while. And then, like, after dinner, I was, like, oh, maybe I should try, like, Monster Hunter Rise, which I which I bought on PC again because I already had it on the Switch. And I was, like, I should probably get some usage out of this game I paid for Right, I went to like start it up, and I saw that there was like a stream of a Canadian Guilty Gear tournament. I just sat and watched the fucking stream mm-hmm. all night, um, which is a fun watch, right? Like, I it's just like such a clean game. The online is so good, and you know, I've just been having a ton of fun uh, jamming on Guilty Gear. Um, it's like, like for me, like at the best, like lol at its high point was like me, like you know, 
feeling good about like really like developing some sort of mastery about it, right? Like and like you know, and that that producing wins. Um, Guilty Gear is like in that space for me right now, right? Like I'm like motivated to go into training mode and like you know hone some uh, hone some combos, right? And make sure I got everything got everything down, and then like you know running sets on the ladder and like you know slowly like I'm I. I'm basically hover between floors eight and nine right now, which is um, mm-hmm. uh, like very t- you know, towards the top of the ladder. Um, it's nothing particularly special, but like, um, you know, it's just kind of like, yeah, I'm just kind of like in my groove here, playing my Potemkin, getting some throws off, you know, uh, doing some co- like, um, I just very recently got in, got like my head around, uh, this is gonna be very technical, but like, um, Potemkin's big move is the Potemkin Buster. He like picks you up and he brings you down to the ground and it's like a big command throw and it, and it hurts a lot, right? If you do it right, when he lands after the damage is dealt, you can do a Roman cancel, uh, which burns meter, and then you can extend that combo, right? Like like, and it's, it's it's kind of it's honestly kind of disgusting, right? Like you slam on the ground, you throw them up and like you hit this button and so they float in the air instead of hitting the ground, and then you just grab mm-hmm. them out of the air and do like a second command grab with them. Just like oh, it's so good. Right, um, and uh, you know, and it's it's super it's a super fun game. So you know, uh, that is that has been the the, the big stuff with, uh, with 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 my week, I guess. Well, I guess that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, we got a couple minutes left, so I wanted to get your take on it. Um, how excited are you for eight person multiplayer Total War three? Oh, I forgot. Yes, that got announced this week. I am unreasonably hyped for a person. Honestly, I, 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 I like I, I went up and down. The big thing that happened this week is they released like a real full beefy build of Total War Warhammer Three to all of the Total War Warhammer streamers. Right, there were a bunch of different content creators, and one of the first things that we learned turned out to be a spoiler for like not for story but for like game mechanics in a way that like really took the wind out of my sails and I was so depressed cuz I learned a secret thing like they it's it's kind of like data mining in a way right like but not really data mining they just got, they just played the game a bunch and they found a thing and they found a very cool um sort of interaction where you know if you beat the game you get a cool thing or whatever and i was just like oh i I was so depressed i want to know what this is spoiler warning for total war 3 mechanics okay the spoiler warning is that there is a legendary lord for each of the factions locked behind or sorry assuming chaos is all one faction by the way locked behind defeating beating the game right so you beat the game with chaos you get uh bellacor who is like a like a famous demon prince uh you beat the game as kislev you get um boris ursus who is Sorry, who's the like the the real tsar of uh, Kislev, um, Katarina's father, right? Who famously dies in in like we think is dead because of the trailer or whatever. Um, and then the oh, I don't remember. Uh, I think it's the Light Dragon. Um, so right now we have the Storm Dragon, we have the Iron Dragon, and the third one, if you'd beat as Cathay, is the Light Dragon. something they have a name something um and i just learned about the you know like i just like it just like oh it killed me because like how cool would that have been to total war comes out you know you're playing the game and you unlock a legendary lord they've never done that before and i just think that that's awesome and i hated that i ruined the surprise for myself um but anyway the 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 other thing that they announced is that they have rapidly they have like 
really redone the way multiplayer works. So in Total War Warhammer 3, there will be eight player multiplayer with simultaneous turns, like in Civilization, which is going to honestly be pretty nuts. Like, I can think of a couple of ways that, like, we could play some really nuts game. Well, so part of it is that nobody really knows. We, we haven't played the War, War, the Warhammer 3 map, but, like, assuming, you know, we know that we're going to get, it's called Immortal Empires, right? The combination of all three games, all of the factions in one. <coughs> but I just think about, like, you know, doing games that are, like, the Wood Elves, Bretonia, the Empire, Clan Angrund, all on top of one another, right? Like Skaven, right? Like they're all they're all there. There's there's a little bit of NPC fodder, right? But like you know, everybody is sort of like, uh, uh, but you know, butting heads, right? But you can do cool things, right? Like so, so if you go to a battle, the way the multiplayer works is I can in a battle setting assign you units, right? So if you and I create a a, a small alliance against Nick and X, for instance, I can have, you know, I can pass you a couple of units. Maybe I pass you my spellcaster. Maybe I pass you, right, like my cavalry, because I don't want to micro the cavalry um, or something like that. And like we can kind of like team up and fight the battles together, which I just think, like, I just think that's really cool, is, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll probably make for some very sweet multiplayer action. I agree. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited too. Like I'm, I've never like fallen deep into the Warhammer three hole just because like, I can't really say why it's like, it, it never really stuck with me in the same way, but it's uh, mm -hmm. still super fun. Um, and you know, I bought, I, I, I bought both base games. I haven't bought all the DLC, but I'm sure I, um, I'll get on this and I'm, you know, February is still going to be it. Wait, wait, when does, when does, do we have a release date for Warhammer? We don't know. Okay. It hasn't been announced. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's getting closer every day. Like, you know, uh, they do i mean i don't expect it i don't understand what they're doing i would have announced it by now probably um they um they do the streamer build thing when it comes to dlc a week before the thing goes live okay. so that suggests that it's basically done right <laughs> like uh and it's kind of an any day now thing and i plan on taking multiple days off work to just sit and play Total War Warhammer 3, my fucking heart's content. If it comes out soon, it's going to be a fucking wreck. Cause, like, I could see them delaying it just yeah, because... Elden Ring, right? I, I, Elden the, Ring, I've said, Destiny. Um, there's there's a couple other things, too, that are coming out. Or are you going to get back into Destiny? I've I'm heard that like, the new Destiny expansion is neat. Um, friend of the cast, Monik, has, has gotten deep back into it. And I dabbled a little bit, and, like, I didn't, it didn't stick. I was just like, I can't be bothered to fucking, like, run everything up just for it to reset in a month, right? Um, yeah, I, I think I do secretly want, I, I want to want to get back into Destiny, but also, like, in a world where 9.2 comes out next month, Total yeah, War Hammer comes thing, out right? next 9 month, Elden Ring comes out next month, it's like, the fuck am I gonna do, man? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah and I think, bike, you know, new, new Guilty Gear characters coming out, too, which we know that, like, not as many people care about, but... Um, Honestly, I keep seeing Guilty Gear all over my my like Twitter and everything. So I think more people care about Guilty Gear than you might than you might think. No, so I th I think that like, so I think as many like I think it's high for an FGC game. But I just don't think it's got like deep penetration, right? Like, um, Biking comes out in like less than a week. Um, and there was a, there was a leak today. There's like a cross promotion with something called Honey and Butter, and they leaked the sprite. Um, yeah. Um, 
like that was like everybody was going nuts today because like they posted like the cross promotion on their website and it had the new model for Biken. Biken is this one armed samurai girl with an eye patch. Um, Guilty Gear lore is very weird. Um, <laughs> okay, all right, we're um, doing it. Um, but she's like a fan favorite. She's a fan favorite character. You know how like you know Overwatch was like everybody cared about the lore, but like nobody really cared about the game is like the thing. Like Biken's kind of like that. Like not a lot of people play her, but everybody like loves her as a character. Probably because, like, you know, she's an attractive female character, right? And she's got, like, a pretty badass design in the, in, on top of that. But, um, and she was also a guest character in Sam's show. Um, uh, uh, and Sam's show doesn't have good online. Uh, but, uh, you know, this, it's, it is a, uh, I, Guilty Gear is a popular fighting game, but it's not, you know, you know, people are t- tuning in to watch tournaments, but it's not like, you know, it's not like a League of Legends. It's not, it doesn't have that kind of market penetration. But, you know. It's uh, February's gonna be a big month. Um, I'm excited. Um, you know, me too. Oi, oi, oi. Um, but uh, we're over time now. Um, uh, do you have anything you want to talk about before we get out of here? The one last thing I wanted to mention is that Dan Olson uh, made an incredibly good YouTube video about NFTs, um, talking about crypto, talking about the whole chain from beginning to end, and. It's great. I was like riveted because it's just funny. And he's, he's like, a, I don't know. He's a good presenter. I don't know how much you like it. I don't know. Are you like a crypto person? Do you, uh, you have, you have some crypto, right? Yeah, so we I, were talking about this. I, I hold some cryptocurrency. Um, I do not own any NFTs, um, but that is not because of an ideological stance against them. Um, the way that it's been explained to me that makes the most sense to me is like NFTs are fine art for tech bros. Um, um, in, in kind of the, in kind of the same way that like, you know, like it makes a little bit more like intuitive, like fine art makes it a little bit more intuitive sense, right? Like a legitimate Van Gogh, at least like those molecules were in the same, you know, air like that Van Gogh was in, right? But like in terms of like the image on the page, right? That, like a perfect replica is in no way materially or is in no way like um, different from like a consumption perspective than like, uh, than like the original. It's just kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, the the spiritual essence we uh, we imbue on the molecules, right? NFTs are kind of like that in that, like, we have marked this one as the true one, um, except it doesn't even have, like, the molecules, right? Like, it's not even the same bits, right? So, like, um, but, like, and so, like, I get why people, like, why, why that's, like, kind of a shaving point for some people, but I also don't have a lot of respect for fine art, right? Like, um, you know, my, my view, like, NFT, like, People are like, well, NFTs are used for, like, laundering money. And it's like, what do you think fine art's used for, right? <laughs> like, that's like... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the, the the point that Dan makes is sort of broader than that, which is that NFTs exist to get you to buy crypto. And he talks all about how the people who are really into NFTs are just speculating on it, right? Like, they just... They're buying in because they think that this is going to be the next big thing and they're going to be able to cash out. But the fundamental mechanics of that are essentially a scheme like a like a like a ponzi scheme see i I, in the sense of like i've heard people say that the only way you can cash out is if you can get somebody else to cash in uh but that's so but that's no but that's no different than any collectible right like this is like the same for like fucking like blue eyes white dragons or like holographic cars (laughs) right like like that that's true right right and so like you know so that is my only objection to the characterization as a Ponzi scheme, right? Like, maybe if I squint a little bit, I'll understand your point. But, like, no one uses that language to discuss any other collectible, even though it's fundamentally on the same footing. Yeah, I, I think I think it's that there are, you know, 
I guess if I if I were to sell myself a blue like blue eyes white dragons all the time for eight hundred dollars to drive up the price of blue eyes white dragons, we would say that that seems shifty. That's right, shady, right, right. right? You know, like that's unethical. But that is the kind of thing that NFT people who buy into an NFT project expect the project holders to do because they are because they're explicitly speculating on the thing and they want them to drive up the value even sure. if they're doing essentially a bump and dump. Right? Sure. So I think that's really what it comes down to. You might not like the video because it is sort of ideological. Oh no, I am you know. sure, right? Like you know, and yeah. you know, I saw it was two hours long. And I was like, I am not going to watch this. At least not. Now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I still haven't watched uh, eight hours of uh, eight hours of cyberpunk review that I want. Fuck to watch. me neither, dude. Yeah, I never even finished cyberpunk because yeah. I just kind of didn't like it. Yeah, I, I kind of pe- like. I heard a rumor that they were going to release another patch. I was like, oh, maybe I'll wait, and then it didn't happen. So you know, um, yeah, GG, right? Yeah, um, and you know, in Toulouse, we don't have, really have the structure to place protect consumers from that. Um, I don't know. I like. There is like always a balance there about like how like, so so. Uh, we're going to get into, like, some, like, much kind of, like, deeper stuff than, like, we normally handle on this cast with this. But, like, um, there is, like, this, like, dividing line between, like, what we let normal consumers do in terms of all financial insurance, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. um, like the amount you can invest in, like, a private endeavor is, like, very limited if you're not an accredited investor. And, like, that makes sense from a consumer perspective perspective or consumer protection perspective at, at some level but another level that also means that the only people that can invest in these potentially very lucrative projects are people who are already very rich right so like it it it, it cuts both ways in that way and you know um i don't know I, I guess ideally as information becomes freer right like like you and i can learn a lot more about like trading stocks off of like fucking investopedia than like our parents could right like mm-hmm. you know i do i do my own my own stock trading like lightly right and like that is easy and I can do it with reasonable, re- reasonably informed right now without having any specialized education. Um, and I think at that point you can start to draw down those protections. But like that's that's a much more nuanced policy discussion. That I think we're we're equipped to handle right now. Um, yep. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's but you know, that's interesting. I'll try and put aside some time uh, some time to watch. And I understand that like like the thing that that I don't I really don't understand is like why NFTs bother some people so much. Like I get not wanting to deal with it, but like the amount of like antipathy I oh see. the moral the yeah no the moral weight question i think is real right where they kind of and this happens all the time on twitter and i'm beginning to think that it is like about almost like twitter or or even like it sometimes happens on reddit where it's just like these things take on moral weight yeah, moral that balance, is sort of yeah. implied and that but if you actually sort of scrutinize them it's all kind of it's kind of a house of cards a little bit right yeah. like i think nfts have taken on this moral burden of negativity right which is to say evil right like that that people see them as evil but like if you were to go back and ask them to sort of prove the case it's just sort of like i don't know I, it's tenuous right yeah. and i think dan does a very good job of proving that case right and i would agree with a lot of his like points and assumptions and he does the legwork or whatever but i don't think random twitter users are doing that legwork right right, right. they are just dunking on it for the sake of dunking on the thing that is yeah and it, you know nft bad right like no, and, yeah and like the other the other half of that too is like i will absolutely agree that like the like the fucking crypto bros are also insufferable in a lot of ways right like, <laughs> oh yeah well that's the thing that i love about the video is like part of the video is just dunking on like not even like the concept of the nfts i find that fascinating just like on a 
I don't it's know, a like technical a historiographic level. Historiographic yeah. level. Yeah, exactly, right? Just kind of like learning how all this works and why why the things in this system work the way that they do. But the part where he talks about joining, he joins an NFT Discord and then starts getting spam invites for all these other NFT Discords. And he's like, so I just accepted all of the, the invites. And I went into every single one and I read all of the conversations that were going on. And it's just kind of like, at that point, it's like cringe reaction content, right? Like the, the unbearable cringe of NFT bros, essentially. I mean, I, I can tell you, I, I, am, I am in, a, I am in a, a serious stock trading Discord. And when I say serious, I don't mean mm. it's like, you know, like, it's not like, you know, fucking Wall Street people. But it's like, is a place where like people seriously talk about making trades, right? Like, and, you know. Yeah. Um, and just by being in that server, I get, like, inundated with, like, spam ads for, like, you know, fake products. And it's like, yo, bro, we could totally make you, like, 500% return on your investment. It's like, shut up. Shut the fuck up, right? Like, and, yeah. and, the, and the people in the Discord aren't like that, right? The people in the Discord are, like, having serious discussions about, like, you know, about, about the stock market, right? Like, you know, yeah. varying levels of competency. But, you know, whatever, right? Like, you know, it's a fun thing. But, like, you know. That's the only thing I don't like about those kind of things is, like, if you are in any Discord that's, like, even related to that, like, you will get spammed with invites because, like, there are bad actors that, like, crawl those Discords for people to try and scam people with their, like, weird bogus products. And that's that's a whole other issue, right? Like, that's, like, a Discord issue, but, like, whatever. Anyway, we've yeah. gone way over time talking about fucking, like, crypto regulation. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to wrap it up here. If you'd like to email okay. us about what you think about Gestalt, remember we were talking about that, or uh, any other things we talked about this podcast up to and including, I guess, cryptocurrency, you can email us at subversplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subversplaygames.com. You can follow, um, follow us at twitch.tv slash subversplaygames, where these go out live. Um, uh, SoundCloud, YouTube, all the other places, rate and review us. Uh, we love you guys out there. Um, uh, and I think that's everything I have. But do you have anything else you want to promote? Uh, you know, I do have a little bit. The big thing is that this week I'm doing a an in-development stream for Astrea, right? Which is our um, our roguelike deck, deck builder, dice dice deck builder, right? You, you use dice, you don't use cards. Um, I did one of these. People went nuts for it. So I'm fucking doing another one. I'm, honestly, I'm really excited. I love Astrea. Astrea is a great time. Um, so that is this Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific. Um, and then this Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific is movie night which I think is going to be spirited away because mm. that one against Kung Fu Panda, which is doomed to be forever the bridesmaid, never the bride. I put it up like every fucking week. You have to put Anytime, it up against like worse movies, right? Like put it up against well, like Well, so what happens like, is, well, it, it's recommendations. What ha I, At the end of every movie night, I put out a thread and I'm just like, hey, this is the recommendation thread, whatever movies you want to see. And typically, you know, like there's two or three responses, right? You know, uh, and then every poll, I have like an open slot. You know, I want to put four or five movies up there and so i go i'm just gonna put kung fu panda up there that's gonna be the open slot and then it always fucking loses <laughs> so uh. I've, I've got a plan for you um not in the akapar discard immediate uh, admittedly but in like one of our one of our separate chats a friend of the cast zao suggests you put up cool runnings i bet you kung fu panda could beat cool runnings for movie night <laughs> I know. I actually did. I, I did talk about that, and I wanted to do Kung Fu Panda against a bunch of easy wins. Like it's like Kung Fu Panda, Triumph of the Will. Like you know, <laughs> like Birth of a Nation. <laughs> yeah, birth, yeah, birth of a Nation. Let's go. Like, honestly, 
when we were talking about it, somebody said the room, and I was like, no, I think the room would be uh, Kung Fu Panda. I was gonna say, like, people would, like you might get like enough of like a Birth of a Nation response that like you wouldn't, you don't want to like play that fucking game, buddy. <laughs> oh yeah, Gone with the Wind. Let's go. Ah oh, man. Oh man. You you gotta pick like a very mediocre, like boring movie, right? Like The Eternals or something. Um, yeah, Armageddon, <laughs> Transformers Three, yeah. Revenge of the Fallen. Right. You, you, Maybe that's Transformers Two. <laughs> you, you need to get one of those like those like middle level like sequels, right? Like some like yeah. you know some like bear like you know like some forgettable Marvel movie, right? Like you know like Thor Two. Yeah, so Thor: The Dark World. Yeah. Fantastic Four, that's a good one. Says Lou in the chat. <laughs> the one with Chris Evans. Just, Hell yeah. That's that's this is what you do. You take every Fantastic Four movie and you put it up there and then you have Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have Kung Fu Panda. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, my next thing is that I want to do um don't tell anyone in the Occupy Discord. The next time of a Fast and Furious movie wins. I think I'm just gonna marathon all of them in the Discord. I'm just we're gonna we're gonna do it's gonna be like Fast Five wins, and we're gonna watch Fast Five, Six, Seven, Eight, Nine, One, Two, Three, Four, and just like go all night. I would love to do that so bad. Oh man, I I, I was when you were when you as you were starting, I was really hoping you were gonna say like next time we do we do uh we do a Fast and Furious movie. I'm gonna cosplay Vin Diesel. I was expecting you to <laughs> shave your head, shave you know, your face. So, Rachel, Rachel's really gotten into um, like actual play D and D podcasts, just as like a thing yeah. to put on in the background, right? Um, and one podcast that she's she's listening to now is like it's set in the future. It's like the year twenty two, you know, whatever. It's like twenty two oh seven or something. Um, they're doing future sci fi, kind of like cyberpunk stuff. Um, and at one point, uh, one of the characters has to like has to kill some time and they're like i'm gonna go to the movies what, you know like what what i go to the movies what movies are playing and the gm says 200 fast 200 furious <laughs> the 200th fast and furious movie and then she's like okay i walk up to the guy at the ticket booth and i ask him hey what's the fast and the furious movie about and the gm goes it's about family <laughs> <laughs> well, i just fucking died <laughs> and I'm <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yep. So anyway, I'll leave on somebody else's joke. That's it. That's all I have to promote. <laughs> all right. Well, in that case, <sighs> until next time, dear listeners. <sighs> until next time, loyal listeners.